Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Today is episode 927, and we'll look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Let's read our passage. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway, and he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out from in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. This is the Gospel of Mark. We've seen the beginning of Jesus' public ministry after the arrest of John the Baptist. He was proclaiming the good news of God, traveling throughout Galilee. He seemed to spend most of his time in Capernaum, but then he went out and traveled to other towns. And his message was, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the gospel. And he's been teaching and healing. Now we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So he had left Capernaum because of the crowds and traveled through other towns. Now, we don't know exactly when this takes place. And Mark's not giving a chronology. He's not giving this chronological account or even things that happened near one another in time. It's more topical. He gave some examples of the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, his point is to give some examples of opposition that he faces in Galilee. And so this is an example of opposition that he faces. So he's in Capernaum and he's at home. Who's home? Well, all we know from Mark is Peter and Andrew's home. So it possibly is there. But from other accounts, Jesus had actually moved to Capernaum at some time in his life before his public ministry began. So it could be Jesus' own home. We don't know, and it doesn't matter. But he's at home in Capernaum. And people have found out. Verse 2. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Now his ministry was to proclaim the message. And he was healing and casting out demons to show his authority for that message and teaching with authority. So he's in the teaching mode here at this home. Now, what's the home like? It, it's hard to say. Some say your standard home is a one-room 
building, basically. Others say it could be up to four rooms with a courtyard. I guess it would depend on the wealth of the individual. So we don't really know how big this place is, but it's not big. And it's packed to the gills with people, and there's people all around the outside of it, straining to hear what Jesus has to say. So many people gathered together. There was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Then verse 3, they came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. These are not big houses, and they don't have a an actual roof to them like we would understand. It's some cross poles and then branches, and then it's packed with mud. And so the mud provides protection from the heat, the elements, and the slope to provide a little bit of water runoff. And there's probably an exterior stairs attached to the building. So you can go up a little bit and get to the top because you have to get up there and do maintenance on it quite often to keep it in order. And so these guys bringing their friend who's paralyzed. We don't know what's wrong with him other than he's paralyzed. And that's really enough. It's all we need to know is he can't walk. So he's on some kind of stretcher and they're carrying him. Four guys carrying him. They come to where Jesus is because they know Jesus, the miracle worker, the healer is there. And they come to get their friend healed. But they can't get in, even couldn't get in on their own, let alone four of them carrying this stretcher. So... Somebody has an idea, and they carry him up on the roof and dig through the mud. Now, you can imagine the scene inside, because all this dirt and branches and stuff is going to start falling down on people inside. It's probably quite the mess. And then they lower this guy one way or another down to where Jesus is. Verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Which is an interesting response. Here's a paralyzed guy. And it's, it's kind of like when Jesus encounters the blind man. And Jesus says, hey, what do you want? Well, of course he wants to receive his sight. Here, they brought this guy to get healed. They brought this guy who can't walk so that Jesus could lay hands on him and make him walk again. And they bring him to Jesus. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. So what's with this? I think it's specifically because of verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who could forgive sins but God alone? you got scribes here. Now, we haven't seen scribes before. We've heard of them when Jesus was teaching in the synagogue as one with authority, not like the scribes. We heard about them. The scribes were the religious experts. We hear scribe, we think of somebody who writes, somebody who's a stenographer, basically. But no, scribes were the religious experts. They were highly schooled, and they were the teachers, the primary teachers of the law. They were the experts in the law. And they're there listening to Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, and you're sure they're not there to learn anything. They're there to watch Jesus like a hawk and see where he trips up. So they've got something to hold against him. So I think the reason Jesus doesn't just say, wow, look at these guys' faith. 
get up and walk, Jesus says, okay, these guys want to see something? Watch this. And he pronounces the man's sins are forgiven. Now, that's really his bigger need. His bigger need is to be made right with God. That's a bigger deal than his physical condition. And the scribes say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nobody can forgive sins but God. And they are correct. Only God can forgive sins. Verse 8. Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. So it says, Jesus perceived in his spirit. Now, sometimes you use the word spirit, and you basically mean mind. Does this mean Jesus spiritually perceived through the work of the Holy Spirit? Or Jesus knew? I, I don't know for sure. I, I could go either way on this. Uh, some smart people in, in their writings say that it probably just means mind. But others say, no, this is some kind of supernatural knowledge. And, and it could be either. There are times where Jesus did have supernatural knowledge of what was going on in people's hearts. I think it goes back to why he even did it. He knew this was going to rile them up. I'm sure as he's speaking to the paralyzed man saying, your sins are forgiven, out of the corner of his eye, he's watching them say, this is going to be good. And I'm sure there was steam coming out of their ears. Even though they didn't say anything, the look on their faces was probably priceless. And so, yeah, only God can forgive sins. So they are thinking, what is going on here? And so he challenges them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk. When they're thinking, well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, but that's blasphemy. Verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So I see what you're thinking, and you're thinking I'm pulling a fast one here because it's a lot easier to proclaim forgiveness of sins than it is to actually heal this guy. But just to show you, yeah, I can heal him too. He proclaims him healed. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Okay, some items here. One is Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. This is the first time we see this in Mark. We really don't see it again until much later. And so some question, is this really authentic? Because Jesus is trying to keep things on the down low right now, where, using a term like this, is that more self-revealing than he should be at this point? Well, what's Son of Man even mean? We're still struggling with this after 2,000 years, trying to understand what Son of Man means. Because it shows up a few times in the Old Testament, but never with a, a regular theme to it. It's used in the book of Daniel as this supernatural divine person, but it's used other places to refer to servants of God. So that's where I go along with the idea. Jesus uses this purposefully to be ambiguous, where it sounds ominous, but what do we do with this? What's it actually mean? So I'm sure they're all scratching their heads and having a big powwow after. What do you mean, son of man? And I'm sure they had a, a big debate about it. Was he blaspheming by saying son of man? 
And so I think he's purposely just adding ambiguity to this, that uh, he is the son of man with the authority to forgive sins, and I'll prove it by curing this man of his paralysis. Now, what do the scribes do with this? We don't know. He says, everybody was astounded, gave glory to God. Now, I think that everybody, or all, means the majority of people there. I don't know if the scribes actually gave glory to God. That they were probably saying, this guy's really coloring outside the lines. We better come up with a plan to get rid of him. But Jesus sees the faith of the men who brought the paralyzed man. I think that uh, he includes the paralyzed. He says, solve their faith. Normally say, uh, he beat the faith of the men who brought him. I think he probably means all five. The four men carrying him and the man. The man may have asked his friends and said, hey guys, I hear Jesus, the miracle worker. Please take me. Or his friends could have said, hey, Jesus, the miracle worker, let's go get Bob and take him down to see Jesus. I'm sure probably it was all five of them had the faith. When Mark says, Saul, their faith, he refers to all five, but his response is to forgive sin. And they are astounded. Everyone there gives glory to God, says, we've never seen anything like this. And they had not. So this is the first conflict we're starting to see now with Jesus, where it's the scribes. They're taking issue with him claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time as we continue working through Mark.